God bless you, sir. Thank you, Brother Don, and good morning, everyone. It is a joy to be in the house of the Lord today. I'd like you to open your Bibles to two passages of Scripture. The first one is found in Isaiah chapter 52, and the next one is found in Luke chapter 7. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, Dinner for Two, Party of Three. That could be a strange situation, couldn't it? Dinner for Two, Party of Three. I especially feel the need of your prayers this morning, so if you would pray that God would be gracious to me and anoint me with his sweet Holy Spirit and allow me to preach in a way that would bring glory to his name, I would indeed appreciate it. In Isaiah chapter 52, one verse, verse number 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. One of the Christmas carols that we sing is, Go tell it on the mountains. I don't know if you're one of those who make New Year's resolutions or not, I'm not. I do make goals. I do set goals for the new year. And one thing that brings this verse home to me in a special way is the fact that God has renewed my interest in a particular part of the world, and that is La Sierra Madre Occidental de Mexico, the western chain of mountains in Mexico. A few years ago, well, no, many years ago, I used to fly down in the Cessna 180 and do missionary work in that part of the world. And then the Lord called us to go to Honduras, and we were there for almost 30 years, so I got away from the work in the mountains. Even though our work with the Bible Institutes has gone on and we now have eight Bible institutes that we're preparing materials for. But I have a renewed interest in doing evangelistic work in the mountains. I no longer have an airplane. And no, Mrs. Judy, this is not a commercial. <laughs> but I have promised the Lord that I will use whatever means of transportation he provides. Now, that could mean a donkey, and it could mean a good pair of walking boots. But I want to ask you to pray for our work in the mountains, the western mountains of Mexico, in this coming year. So let's read the verse again. This is speaking about the feet of the Lord Jesus. And then in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, verse number 15, it gives a response to this verse a little bit differently. The response is in the plural. How beautiful upon the mountains are they who publish these good tidings. 
But we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the first one who came to this earth to bring the good tidings of salvation. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him. And then we turn to the book of Luke, chapter number 7. And we begin reading there with verse number 36. Luke 7, 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, they spake within, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee, and he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, and the other owed 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou, forgavest, thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet, my head with oil. Thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? 
And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that the sweet Holy Spirit will anoint the Word of God as it goes forth and send it as a flame, a flaming dart into the heart of every one of us. Give us individually the message that we need this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name, amen. Dinner for two, but there was a party of three. I would think that the purpose of this message today is that we might be able to see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in the magnanimity of his person, who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing, and all of that in relation to each one of us as an individual. I see a congregation of faces. I do not see any hearts. But there is one present among us today who does see your heart. And that is the same one who saw the heart of this sinful woman in Luke chapter 7. Hypocritical kindness is deficient even in common courtesy. I wonder why did Simon the Pharisee even bother to invite Christ to a meal to begin with. Christ's presence was tolerated rather than appreciated. Simon failed to show genuine acceptance, no water for his feet, no kiss of welcome, no ointment with the oil of gladness. And our Lord on other occasions warned, be not as the Pharisees. But none of this came as a surprise, surprise to our Lord, who reaches out to all, whether small or great. I would wonder why the Lord would even bother to go to the, go to the dinner, knowing in advance the character of the person who had invited him. But that's our Lord. He doesn't distinguish people like we distinguish people. He not only is the Lord of the down and outs, but he's the Lord of the upper crust also. When we look at this, the Bible says that he sat down to meet. Do not picture this as the Lord went into the house and pulled up a chair to the table and sat upright to the table. That was not the custom of that day in that area. Rather, there was sort of a reclining couch type of a chair. He sat down on it, but then he reclined toward the table, raised his feet on the lower part of the couch, and they were away from the table and toward the door. Luke chapter 2 and verse 7 tells us that Mary 
when she had brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. That's the same word that we find here where it says that he sat down to meet. He sat and then he reclined. In verse number 37 of our text in Luke chapter 7, we notice again, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. The kind of language that the Holy Spirit is using to give us this verse today sort of sets apart the kind of a sinner that she was. She was a woman in the city. What I have heard when I was younger, other older people referred to as sleep, uh, street walkers, not sleep walkers, but street walkers. In other words, she was a harlot. She was a sinful, sinful woman in that degree of great immorality. But she came behind the Lord Jesus. As she came in the door, there were his feet. And the Bible tells us that she had tears of penitence. She was brokenhearted over her condition. Now the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees had little to do with the Lord Jesus. But the Bible tells us that the publicans and the harlots heard him gladly. I'm sure that this woman had heard of Jesus and probably had heard Jesus. In one of his impromptu street meetings when he just stood to preach to the crowd, the publicans and the harlots gathered around to listen. I imagine that she was in the crowd one day and with a bowed head and a broken heart, she reflected upon the kind of a person that she was. And the seed of the word that the Lord planted in her heart that day as she listened to his message brought forth great, brought forth great fruit. Penitence cannot produce repentance, but repentance always produces penitence. When a person is genuinely repentant toward God, and the Holy Scriptures has much to say about the importance of repentance, we live in a day when faith is preached without repentance. Come and add Christ to what you already have. No, that is not repentance. Repeatedly, the Word of God tells us that to have faith, we must come to Him with a repentant attitude. It is a complete turn away from the old life and the old beliefs that were so dead, and now we turn away from that in order to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There cannot be faith in Christ unless there is a turning from the other deceptive thing that we have believed in. 
whether it be an immoral thing or whether it be a religious thing in which we have believed. We must cease trusting in that in order to give ourselves exclusively to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. But we know that the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 that this comes about by godly sorrow. It cannot be worked up. It is a godly thing that God puts into the heart of a person. <clears throat> so this woman was not only penitent, but she was also repentant, as we shall see as we go along in these scriptures. She found the key to the heart and to the mind and to the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a key. Do you desire to come close to the Lord and to know him in a more intimate way? Do you desire to find the Lord Jesus Christ sufficient to the heart cry of your very spirit and soul? Then come to Christ, but you must come with the right key. I don't think she realized that she had the key, but she did have it. Turn with me, please, into your, in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter number 34. We want to see what that key is. The key to the heart of the Lord Jesus that this woman found is still the same key that we must use today when we come to him. We need to know what that key is. It always works. You may have a key to a door at home that, that for some reason doesn't work. This key that we find in the Holy Scriptures, the key to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, to find him sufficient to the needs of your own heart cry, this key always works. What is that key? In Psalm chapter 34 and verse number 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm chapter 51. We turn over to there. Psalm 51 verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. This woman was despised by the Pharisee, but not by the Lord. And then in the book of Isaiah, chapter 57. <coughs> Isaiah, chapter 57, and verse number 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. No question as to who that is. <clears throat> we sang about him this morning, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. 
<clears throat> the psalmist says, Thou hast set thy glory above the heavens. One infamous scientist said some time ago, Look out at the, at the universe. You won't see God anywhere. His throne is set above the heavens. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also. In other words, I also dwell with him that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Contrite ones. So what is that key? If you want to be able to successfully get into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and get into his spirit, into his soul, into his heart, there to appeal to him <clears throat> for the great burden that you have, whether for yourself or for someone else for whom you're praying, <clears throat> then come there with a broken heart. Come there not with a proud spirit, but with a humble spirit. God hates pride, but God loves humility. And a broken heart he will not despise. It is not always easy to have this kind of a spirit in public worship. <clears throat> but I do recommend, and I'm sure that the Word of God bears this out, each and every one of us who know the Lord as our Savior need to have a special place in private where we can go regularly and talk to our Lord and express to Him the thing that is in our soul, that we're not necessarily interested in anybody else hearing what we have to say to God. <clears throat> Others may not understand. But this woman came. She's just not teary-eyed. There is a fountain flowing out of her eyes. So much tear until there she is able to literally wash his feet with her broken heart <clears throat> and her broken eyes. My, what a change has suddenly taken place in the life of this sinful woman from the city. Had you seen her a short time before that, you would not have recognized. She had a different appearance altogether a little bit before that. Because she was an adulterous woman. Jeremiah 3 verse 3 says, Therefore the showers have been withholden. God is speaking through Jeremiah to the nation of Judah. And there have, hath been no latter rain. He's talking to a nation about their sinfulness. And he's making a comparison here in these first 11 verses of Jeremiah chapter 3. And he's talking about 
spiritual adultery. Adultery takes place when a man or a woman who is married yields their devotion to someone else other than to whom they are married. <clears throat> and God said to Judah on this occasion, Thou hast a whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be ashamed. <clears throat> oh, just say, Brother Larry, that's, that's ugly language. May we be reminded that it is the Holy Spirit who chose these words. The Bible is verbally inspired. That means God chose the individual words that went into the writing of the Holy Scriptures. And he says, Thou hast a whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be ashamed. <clears throat> so if we should have seen or could have seen this woman beforehand, we would not have seen her broken and contrite. Proverbs 30 verse 20 says, Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. Can you see the marks of repentance in this woman who now comes with a broken heart, gushing tears, and washing the feet of Jesus? <clears throat> she has found a man who is different from all the other men she has ever known. Other men who have used her and abused her. But here, one who speaks to her, though wicked as she is, he speaks to her in condescending love and kindness. Only in the presence of Christ can we fully see the depth of our sinfulness. She washed his feet and then she took her glory and dried his feet. 1 Corinthians 11 verses 14 and 15 says, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame to him? But if a woman have long hair, it's given to her for a covering, and it says in that 15th verse that it's her glory. No doubt, this woman had used her beautiful hair as a means for enticement and as a means for entrapment but now she's got a converted head she takes her beautiful hair and wipes his feet and then she does something very very seemingly very very unusual she kissed his feet It's hard for us to put ourselves into this situation, but really and truly, the language is all there. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, the Bible tells us, but can we imagine how this Pharisee must be thinking? And all the other people, there were other people there at the table. Can you imagine, can we, of the situation 
It was not uncommon for people to come in off the street, but, but here she was known for who she was. She was known for what she was. <clears throat> and she came in off the street. And now she has washed and dried and is now kissing his feet. <clears throat> she has been overcome by his kindness. <clears throat> there certainly was no physical attraction. <clears throat> Isaiah 53 verse 2 tells us that when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was not a good-looking man. I get put out with artists who try to picture Jesus. Oh, such an impossible task. But she kissed his feet. Someone may say, well, you're not going to catch me kissing somebody's feet. Well, then maybe you have missed one of the joys of life. My sweet lady, Mrs. Judy, and I celebrated an anniversary this past week. <clears throat> and I reflect upon what she has done for me down through the years. She has given me three beautiful baby girls. Lucretia and Laura and Miriam. And each one of those, I have had the joy of taking their little feet into my hands, putting them up against my cheek, and kissing those sweet little feet. Have you ever kissed the feet of a baby? Oh, what a wonderful experience it is. If you've never done so, then find the mother with a little baby and request <laughs> that you take off its shoes and kiss its feet. But oh, beloved, if kissing a baby's feet is sweet, and that little baby is a sinner, that little baby is going to grow up and maybe disappoint you and go in a direction you don't want that baby to go depending on the situation. But if that be true, how much more so is it true that we would have the opportunity to kiss the feet that were placed up against an old cruel timber and had an old nail to go through them and impale those feet to that timber because he loves you. Because he loves me. Because he speaks kindness and tenderness to us. Oh, yes. If I could have the opportunity, you better believe I would kiss his feet. Gladly kiss his feet. Those feet that shed blood for my redemption. Psalm 2 verse 12 says, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and ye perish from the way. 
There are some who chose not to kiss him. There are some who chose to spit upon him. And really and truly there is no middle ground. We either know and love the Lord Jesus Christ devotedly or else we have chosen the other path and it could be that we have tried to hide our sinister attitude under a cloak of Pharisaism like Simon the Pharisee. Kissing is an expression of love and acceptance. Kissing also is an expression of commitment. I saw a newsreel many, many years ago. In those days, black and white was all that you got. And it showed a mother saying goodbye to a soldier boy during World War II. And there was the, the, the troop carrier, the big ship, and the soldiers were climbing up onto it. They made a big wide rope ladder that draped over the rail and was attached to the ship. And it came down and was attached to the dock. And the soldier boys each had their big heavy backpack loaded and ready to go to war. And they were down on the dock and they were saying goodbye to their loved ones. And it showed the close-up of a mother kissing her son goodbye and perhaps it was the last time she would ever see him. <clears throat> and she kissed him and she kissed him and she kissed him. And she kept on, kept on kissing and kissing and kissing her son. It was an emotionally moving experience just to see it on the newsreel. And the young soldier boy, he didn't act like he was embarrassed because of it because he too was saying goodbye to his mother maybe for the last time on earth. And the Bible tells us in verse 45 that as this woman of the city kissed the, face, the, the feet of Jesus, the Lord says, she hath not ceased to kiss his feet. It might be a popular thing to kiss the Lord Jesus on certain occasions and then get away from it. But this woman, she just kept on, kept on kissing and kissing and kissing the feet of the Lord Jesus. They were beautiful feet. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. She had heard those good tidings in the street preaching. Somehow I think that we've gotten away from this spiritual intimacy that an individual child of God ought to have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Driving home from our dinner to celebrate our anniversary, my wife, Mrs. Judy, 
said something very sweet and tender to me. And I reflect that what she said. Do you want me to tell you what she said? She said, happy anniversary, you lucky dog. <laughs> oh, no. No, that's a lie. She didn't say that. She said to me, and it's been 65 years, longer. We had a courtship before that. She said to me, I love you more than I ever have. And I feel that for her. And why am I telling you that this morning? I'm telling you that to serve as an illustration, no more than an illustration. Shouldn't we talk to the Lord like that? We go back in our mind's eye to that dark time in our life. And how that God used circumstances to bring us to hear the gospel. And the sweetness of the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Husbands and wives don't be ashamed or inhibited in expressing verbally what you mean to each other. But even far more so. May we express to our Lord. And then the Bible tells us that she anointed his feet with a very costly ointment. Spike nard is nard in its purest state. It is a liquid. And it had to be sealed up in a box of alabaster marble in order to prevent it from evaporating and you would never open that box until you were ready to use it I fancy this morning as I think about this how that our Lord Jesus Christ is worthy and every one of us have an alabaster box of some kind Oh, would to God that we would come to our Savior today with our alabaster boxes and break them open and give them to Him. For He is altogether worthy. One of my favorite hymns in the book is Majestic Sweetness Sits Enthroned Upon the Savior's Brow His Head with Radiant Glories Crowned his lips with grace o'erflowed. His lips with grace o'erflowed. No mortal can with him compare among the sons of men. Fairer is he than all the fair who fill the heavenly train. Who fill the heavenly train. He saw me plunged in deep distress and flew to my relief. For me, he bore the shameful cross and carried all my grief and carried all my grief. To him I owe my life and breath and all the joys I have. 
He makes me triumph over death and saves me from the grave and saves me from the grave. <clears throat> Look at verse 39 in our text in Luke 7. <clears throat> we read here the Pharisees' ignorance. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Religious hypocrites are judgmental of others in their hearts. And though they may not repeat it, far too often they do, but though they may not repeat it, God sees it, God hears it. Let's respond to this Pharisee. He's mistaken. He's wrong. He's come to a wrong conclusion about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's set him straight. Yes, Mr. Simon Pharisee, he is a prophet. Yes, Mr. Simon Pharisee, he knows who she is. He knows all things. And Simon, he knows who you are. And yes, Mr. Simon Pharisee, he is touched by her. But in a far deeper way than you can imagine, Mr. Simon. For he is touched, as the Bible tells us, with the feeling of her infirmities. He was touched with the feeling of, uh, with, with the feeling of adultery? Yes. He felt it when the Nails went in his hands. He felt it when those nails went in his feet. He felt it when his beard was plucked out. He felt it when the crown of thorns was placed upon his head. He felt it when they stripped him of his raiment. The shame of the cross. He felt it. But now, as he is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, whatever it is that your infirmity is, he feels that. <clears throat> he feels it even now. Look at verse number 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. Now the verses following we find out that surely he is a prophet and he does know what manner of woman she is and what manner of man he is. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. Now this is not 500 pennies. That would be $5. But a pence in that day was the value of one day's hard labor of a working man. <clears throat> 500 days of hard labor. That's how much one of them owed. And 50 was not nearly as much, but was still a debt. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. 
Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon said, answered and said, Get the weakness of this testimony. Get the, get the, the low quality of what he has to say. I suppose. I suppose. What kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith do I have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it a suppositional thing? I suppose that he to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. When you and I have any opportunity to do anything to serve the Lord Jesus, we ought to snap it up. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time that I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, the Lord Jesus says, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Love commensurate to the debt. The critic's value system was so low, I suppose, he said. Notice the difference between the negligent Pharisee and the sinful woman. He had a philosophy of religion. But she had a very vital and real and up-to-date experience. <clears throat> you won't get to heaven with a philosophy of religion. You will only get to heaven with the experience that the Lord Jesus speaks about in John chapter 3 when he said, ye must, ye must be born again. No matter what our religious profession, we will all go to hell if we do not experience the new birth spoken of here in the Word of God and which this woman experienced. You must. Our alibis and suppositions have no weight. He who spoke the final kindness, the final word, is all that matters. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. Verse 48, and he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meats began to say, within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? But verse 50 ought to be weighed in our own hearts and minds very heavily today. 
When she left there, how did she know for sure that she had been forgiven? How did she know for sure that her sins were forgiven? How did she know for sure that she was saved? How do you know for sure that you are saved? We say we are saved. How do we know that? It's all in verse number 50. And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Oh, back up a little bit. My, what an amazing emotional experience she's had. But that is not what saved her. The Lord Jesus said, Thy faith hath saved thee. You and I may or may not have had any kind of a similar emotional release in our trusting Christ as Savior, but that's not what saves us anyway. Ten years from now, we may not be able to recall those emotions, but we still have the faith right out of the Holy Scriptures. And he said to the woman, Go in peace. Think back to the time when you came in brokenness and contrition, in penitence and repentance, and you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You did not have to turn to the soul winner, to the preacher, or whoever may have been that was dealing with you. You did not have to say, well, what about me now? Am I saved? No, the soul winner doesn't know. The preacher doesn't know. But think back when you got saved. Who is it that spoke peace to your heart? Do you remember that? Do you remember that it was the Lord Jesus Christ who is speaking peace to your heart? By faith you had trusted him. And now the gloomy night has gone away. The clouds have gone away. The sunshine is brightly beaming and the birds are singing. Because you now have peace in your heart. May we stand please with our heads bowed and our hearts lifted to God in prayer. Am I speaking to someone today? who does not know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. Come to Him today. Don't forget to come with that key that He always recognizes. Recognizing that you're a penitent sinner, come in repentance and come in faith and trust Him as your Savior and as your Lord. They're going to begin to play the instruments and the invitation is open. Would you, like that sinful woman, come this morning and trust Christ publicly as your personal Savior and Lord?
Thank you, ladies. That will be enough.